What's a big choice you might have made in your life? Sometimes we have to make big choices, don't we? And choices can feel very hard sometimes. We might have to make a big choice about what cereal we have for breakfast. Whether we buy jelly babies or gumdrops. But big choices come throughout life, don't they? Right up to big decisions about what subjects we might study at school. Big career decisions. Decision about who we might one day marry. Hopefully that's a mutual choice. We make choices, don't we? And choices have consequences. And today we're going to be thinking about a big choice that was laid down in our passage. And in fact, it's a choice that we all have to make. It's the most important choice we'll ever make. And it's this. Will we follow God or not? Will we follow God or not? Now, last week, Jeremy opened our series on travels with Elijah. And we're going through these Old Testament books of one and two kings. And there's quite a lot of Bible history in there. So I'm going to try and get us back up to speed quickly. Now, Israel was a kingdom with a king. And we find out all about those kings in the books of one and two kings. It does what it says on the tin. Now, we're looking at a particular part of those books through the life of Elijah. And especially the way that God used him during the reign of one of those kings who was a really bad king. Boo, hiss. King King Ahab. You're going to have to give him some jelly babies after for this. Now, this was in the northern kingdom of it. Oh, no, not yet. This was in the northern kingdom of Israel in the ninth century before Christ. And you know, we're introduced to this king a few chapters back in 1 Kings 16. And in verse 29, we're told a little bit about King Ahab. We're told that King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Ahab married a woman called Jezebel. Big decision there that had a big consequence because she persuaded him to serve foreign gods, particularly the god Baal. Some say Baal, some say Baal. Let's leave it there. But the god Baal was being brought into worship in Israel. So what Ahab did is as this bad king that he was, he set up worship shrines all throughout Israel for the worship of this god Baal. And this made God very angry, very angry. In fact, in chapter 16, verse 33, we read that Ahab's actions did more to make God angry than any of the other kings of Israel had done before. Ahab was a very bad king. Boo hiss. Now, in response to Ahab's sin against God, God sent his prophet Elijah. Yay for Elijah. And we meet Elijah first off in chapter 17. That was last week. And you know, Elijah told King Ahab very directly, as a punishment for his wickedness and worship of Baal, of these foreign gods, there would be no rain in the land. It would be disastrous. We know how important rain is for survival, for crops, for food to grow. And so there was this awful drought Now, fast forward to our passage today, chapter 18, everything is coming to a head. 
This drought has been going on and it's causing problems. And tension is building between Elijah, yay, and King Ahab, boo hiss. And there's going to be a big showdown on a mountain called Mount Carmel. Now, this is more than any WWE showdown. This is real stuff. This is going to be a big showdown. There's going to be a God contest between Baal on the one hand and the God of the Bible, Yahweh, or some like to say Yahweh, on the other. But we'll stick with Yahweh for now because it's a difficult pronunciation. But first, before that, Ahab and Elijah will confront each other. And if you look at your little passage on the, well, not little passage, your sheets, and you'll see there in verse 16, when they meet, Ahab says to Elijah, he says, oh, is that you, you troubler of Israel? You see, due to the droughts, Ahab was getting desperate. And because Elijah's God, Yahweh, had brought the droughts, Ahab partly blamed Elijah for it. He associated Elijah with all the troubles Israel was experiencing. But look at Elijah's response. What does he say? He flips it around. He says, no, no, King Ahab, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you have. And why? Because you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the bars. Now, Elijah goes on, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. It's a big number, isn't it? So the scene is set for the showdown on Mount Carmel, for the great God contest between Baal and Yahweh. So who will win? That's the question hanging in the balance at that time in Israel. But you know, before we go to that, before we find that out, there's a really important verse that we need to look at, and it's verse 21. Have a look down. You see, because King Ahab had introduced the worship of false gods like Baal, the people of Israel had followed after, a bit like Simon Says. Who's played that game before? They were playing Ahab Says. He'd followed the idolatry of his wife Jezebel into worshipping these foreign gods, and so the people had followed after. So Elijah lays this challenge before them in verse 21. He says, look, how long, people, will you waver between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. You see, there'd been an attempt to try and do both, to follow Baal and Yahweh. But God won't share his glory with another. For he alone is God. He alone is worthy of worship. And following both is a bit like trying to do two things at once, which means you then don't do either of them properly. Like trying to read two books at once. Who's ever tried to do that? Or trying to watch two films at once. It's quite tricky, isn't it? You've had a go. Or trying to ride two bicycles at once. And to help us understand this, I thought we would see the problems that presents with a bit of an illustration. So will my volunteers come up? Now... First up, if you'd each like to show me how nicely you can ride your bicycles on your own, just one at a time, just come down to the end and then do a little turn around, maybe just one at a time. Who's going to go first? Are you going to go first? Go on, then off you go. Do you want to go down the aisle, just, and then turn around at the end? That's it. 
Just riding one bike so we can see it works perfectly well. Let's give her a little cheer as she goes on. Hey, down we go. Very good. And then a little screech in the tent. Why don't you go down as well? Do you want to go down as well? Are you going to come back first? Go on, come back first then. That's it. Oh, very good. And then, do you want to swap over? Right, you have a go as well. I think we need more than jelly babies after all this. <laughs> Maybe a tour to the jelly baby factory. And come back. Let's come back. Brilliant. Now. If you come back onto the dais, and we're going to see if each of you can have a go at riding both bicycles at once. <laughs> Let's bring the bikes back here. So who's going to go first? Okay, do you want to stand over there? And here you go. There we go. Let's turn them around. So, on you go. <laughs> That's it. Oh... Shall I have a go? Have a go. Oh, 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 sort of using the feet. Bit of Fred Flintstone inspiration here. Very good. Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? Right, do you want to have a go? Right, let's go back a bit. There you go. See if you can have a go. Ready? Oh, he's got his feet on the pedals. Oh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Sort of there, sort of there. All right, very good. Thank you. Well done, guys. Great, thanks very much. Right. Well done, thanks very much. The Cirque du Soleil ain't seen nothing yet. You see, it's not possible to ride two bikes at once, is it? Now, maybe it will feature somehow in a future Olympics, but uh, that's unlikely. It's not just a bit risky, but it's, it's impossible, really. You can't do it. You can't ride more than one bike at a time. Now, I had actually thought about getting um, some horses to help with this illustration, but they all said they were, they were busy uh, subbing in for damaged bicycles. But you see, in the same way, in verse 21, Elijah is calling the people out. And he's challenging them, to, challenging them to make a choice as to who they're going to follow. They can't do both. You can't ride two bicycles. They can't follow Baal and God. They can't follow both. You see, no one in the same way can follow a path that goes in two, di two different directions. When people try, it just ends up in confusion mess, and ultimately, as would probably happen if someone persevered with trying to ride two bicycles, disaster. And that's actually what happens for Israel. And you see, there's a challenge there for us, isn't there? Because we can try and do the same thing. We can try and follow God, and not bar so much, but idols that we make for ourselves. Whatever it might be, perhaps we are trying to follow God, but secretly we find ourselves worshipping 
our career or wealth aspirations or, or our hope to be really popular at school or our status amongst our friends. But the problem with that is that when difficult choices need to be made, our compromised stance will be exposed. You see, if we let our heart's affections be captured by anything other than God, we're heading for disaster. God wants us for all that we are, body and soul. So what we think and watch and say, it matters to God. What we do with our bodies and in our relationships, how we conduct them, it matters to God. And you see, that's because he's a holy God but also because he's a God that wants the best for us. And he knows that our hearts are only fully satisfied in him. So if we put something else in his place, we're going to find ourselves disappointed and in disaster. And we're a bit like King Ahab then, aren't we? We're trying to do both. And we'll find that just as the blessing of rain was taken away from Israel, that we won't sense God's blessing upon us if we're trying to do both. We can't follow two masters. We need to make a choice. So anyway, let's let's now pan our cameras over, zooming across to the action of the showdown on Mount Carmel. And remember, it's the great God contest between Baal and his 450 prophets on the one side, and Yahweh and his one prophet, Elijah, on the other. Well, hang on though, isn't that a bit of a mismatch? The 450 prophets of Baal? Against just Elijah? Well, we'll find out, won't we? But if Baal's shown to be false, then it doesn't matter how many Baal prophets there are, because God plus just one is a majority. Or think of it like this. What's heavier? Quiz for those listening in. Mount Everest plus one person, or 450 people on their own? Mount Everest, indeed. You see... Although it appeared that Elijah was on his own and powerless on his own, with the God of the universe with him, he's on the winning side. So anyway, let's have the God contest begin. And we see the rules are laid down in verse 25. Look, lay a, altar, lay a bull on an altar and call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. And no cheating, you can't light the fire yourself. Your God has to do it. So the prophets of Baal go first. Now, Mount Carmel was sacred ground for Baal worship, so it was a bit of a home fixture for the Baal prophets. And, as well as being a fertility god, Baal was the god of storm and fire, so he was playing at home and playing to his strengths. So if Baal lost this contest, it would be very embarrassing. So off the Baal prophets go, we read in verse 26, They called on the name of their God from morning till noon. Answer us, Baal, they shouted. But there was no response. So they danced around the altar they made. I'm not going to do a demonstration of that. But by noon, verse 27, Elijah begins to taunt them. (laughs) Shout louder. Maybe Baal is deep in thought or away on travels or even asleep. In fact, Some commentators suggest the original Hebrew indicates he might have been saying that Baal was on the loo. So the prophets of Baal go even harder at it in verse 28. They shout louder, they slash themselves with swords and spears until they bleed. 
They're prophesying. Verse 29 was frantic. But what do we read? There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Baal had failed and on home turf. He couldn't even conjure up a little fire. So now it's Elijah's turn. But before he starts, he has the opposition pour water all over the wood. In fact, by verse 34, we can see there he's had water poured all over it three times over. Now, people aren't stupid. If you've ever tried to light wet wood, it doesn't burn. So Elijah is stacking the odds against Yahweh. Yahweh's playing away from home and with a wet altar. You see, Elijah wants it to be very clear to everyone that there's no tricks here. If the altar lights up after all that water, then Yahweh is indeed the true God, and Baal will be fully exposed as false. So Elijah steps forward in verse 36 and prays. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known your God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God, and you're turning their hearts back again. And what then happens? Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil. It licked up the water in the trench. Wow. Yahweh had won. Baal had been defeated. Yahweh is shown to be the true God. Baal is shown to be a false God. Yahweh lives and reigns. Baal is dead and powerless. But you see, it wasn't enough for that to just be recognized. There needed to be a response, and we see that in verse 39. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell face down and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God turns their hearts back to him as they recognize him and him alone as the one true God. And they're wonderfully restored, and God sends his blessing of rain on the land once again to bring life and save them from the famine. God won the contest on Mount Carmel, but he also won back his people. Now, as we draw to a close, we need to think briefly about what all this means for us. Because you see, the problem in Elijah's day is the same as ours. Like then, we also now live in a world where people worship, it seems, everything but God. In an age of endless choice, people choose to do what they want so often, not what God wants. Like then, we now live in a world of idol worship. We're not necessarily worshipping a great statue of Baal, but we're worshipping other things. False gods that promise much but don't deliver. A bit like when you're really hungry, going and having a meal at McDonald's. You leave only wanting more. And we need to see and understand how powerless and useless these idols are, these false gods. You see, Elijah was able to expose the foolishness and worthlessness of Baal in his day. And we need to understand the same of those false gods that we find ourselves going after. 
because at root, what it was, was Baal had captured people's hearts. He had captured their affections. And although Baal today is long gone, new idols continue to emerge for us, don't they? And they seek to try and capture our hearts and affections today. I wonder what they are for you this morning. Only you will know. But one thing is for sure, following idols will keep us from God's blessing just as it did back then. We might think that salt water will do for us, but it will only make us thirstier. So maybe as we close, this morning is the time to recognize the true God in your life, to recognize him afresh or even for the first time. You see, just as the people did in verse 39, they fell, they fell face down and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Not Baal, not this culture we live in, not celebrities I try to be like or the sports stars I worship, not my ambition or, or wealth aspiration, but the Lord alone, he is God. And what a gracious and loving God he is, slow to anger, swift to love. You see, just as he endured all that unfaithfulness from his people back then, as a longing father, still now he longs to have his people's hearts turned back to him. So that question, that choice put to us at the beginning, will we turn our hearts to follow God today and every day? For when we do, there's great blessing. You see, for the people of Israel, as that fire fell on Mount Carmel and the people returned to God, he brought rain again and gave life. And today we know, looking back, that the fire of God's judgment fell on a different sacrifice. That's my daughter over there. The fire of God fell on a different sacrifice, on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, through whom we receive God's blessing of the true water of life. So if you're living in a spiritual drought this morning, and you know that, come back to God, turn your heart back to him, and drink his living water. For the Lord, he is God. Choose God. Choose life. Amen.